Talofalava, you're listening to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific, Kuau Okoroi, Hawkins. Coming up. I think there will be a lot of personality politics thrown into the middle, but I hope that, that there is a lot of focus as well on these big policy issues that are going to define Fiji's economic and development trajectory. Fiji's election campaign period begins without an official election date set. Tuvalu and Pacific Island, we, we should have the, the chance to lead and to unite the Commonwealth. A former Governor-General of Tuvalu puts his hat in the ring for the Commonwealth Secretary-General's position. What we've got to do is set up these the protections, set up sustainable management of our marine environment forever. And we learn why equity and long-term sustainability are among the biggest challenges facing conservation work in the Pacific. Fiji's election campaign period is officially underway despite the lack of an official election date. Electoral Commission Chairperson Mukesh Nand announced the start of the campaigning on Tuesday local time, explaining that under the country's laws, this was one month before the earliest date that the election writ can be issued by the President, which is May the 26th. The only parameter for the ending of campaigning is that it will be 48 hours prior to the date of the general election, which is yet to be announced by the President Ratu Wiliame Katonivere. Joining me is the director of the Lowy Institute's Pacific Islands program, Jonathan Pryke. Bula, Jonathan, so campaigning is now underway. Is, is that your understanding as well? Yeah, look, that's what seems to be the case. I've just um, made the call and it's a bit of a more of an interesting process than what you have might traditionally have in Australia or New Zealand in that, you know, when you call the start of an election campaign, you also typically will set the date for the election itself. So, you know, in Australia, we're in the middle of an eight-week election campaign right now, which will lead to a late May election. Uh, whereas in Fiji, it's like, you know, the, the, we still don't know the date. It could be as late as January. It could be as early as, as June, you know. It could really... Um, and so it's really up to the Fiji First Party to, like, put them in a bit of a strategic driver's seat into how they want this electoral this election process to play out. Um, because, you know, in the last election five years ago, I don't think... Um, I don't think Fiji First at all expected to be so, come so close to being kicked out of, of power. You know, they scraped through that election with just the f- smallest of possible majorities. And so I'm sure they're thinking very strategically about this election and about how they can position themselves best to, um, to you know, maximise their chances of, of getting another term in government, but it's going to be a hotly, less, hotly contested election. You know, you've got a lot of minority parties in opposition, or um, there's a lot of frustration with how the economy is going. But at the same time, Fiji has had a lot of success with combating COVID and um, particularly getting everyone vaccinated, enabling them to have like a big tourism season this year. So there's a huge amount of factors that are going to play into when exactly we're going to see this election actually take place. They've done a lot of work on the voter registration system in the the last uh, couple of weeks, even the last two months or so. What's what's been the changes there? Yeah, look, that's all a bit um, really nitty gritty um, for for me. But in terms, of, but I I do know they've done a lot of work trying to update the role and to make sure that everyone's getting properly, uh, um, you know, represented and enfranchised to to vote. Um, but, you know, there has been some concerns in the opposition that it's actually there are some measures in here that will make it harder for certain groups, perhaps certain groups that don't support the government to to actually a- be able to vote. And that's all a bit. Um, those are all serious concerns. And that um, you know, I hope that they do all these reforms and adjustments to make sure that the 
all the people who are entitled to vote, who should be entitled to vote, do have that right and are able to. A few interesting alliances is coming into the election. Um, if you can, you comment on on some of the new new ones that we're seeing this election that weren't here for the last one. Yeah, so I mean, you know, in the last elections, there it was really a battle between two parties. It was Sadelpa in opposition and Fiji First in government. Fiji First led by Baini Marama and Sadelpa led by Rambuka. Um, you know, these are two titans of Fiji um, Fiji politics who have been around a very long, long time. You now see Rambuka's left Sadelpa. He's formed his own political party. He's brought a lot of Sadelpa's people with him, and so now you have these camps forming in opposition you also have and you have two other minority parties so there's now four parties in opposition that are all fighting in this election i think a few more have even been registered in the recent most recent weeks um so yeah it's a much more fractured opposition than we had in the last election but they've all agreed that none of them would form a government with fiji first you know they've all formed this these like quote unquote alliances which the fiji first government is saying you know you can't do that you can't form coalitions like this that's not a that's a, against you know the the constitution. I mean, I'm I'm not a constitutional expert on Fiji, so we have to let that play out. But um, but it does seem like they've all made big claims about how they wouldn't form a government with Fiji first. But there is a very likely uh, scenario wherein uh, Fiji first in this election may well not get the majority of the vote, which they were able to achieve last time. But they might, they will still, um, likely, because of the, the way the opposition has splintered, they will still likely be in the position to have the majority, the most votes of any party, which would put them in the position to form government with one of these other minority parties. And so they're all talking a big game now about how they wouldn't side with Fiji first. But if it comes to that scenario where one of them, one, particularly one of these smaller parties, if they get two or three seats in parliament, you know, they could be in a real position of kingmaking um, as to who gets to to take over power, and so um, yeah, these coalitions, how they play, how they how strong they hold through the election campaign, um, and you know how how much Fiji First tries to you know win them over, um, it's going to be very interesting to watch as well. Um, you know, we've got a very similar situation playing out here in Australia uh, in this election with all the independents and minority parties that are also running in this election. So it's yeah, a very different landscape from what we saw five years ago, and. Um, yeah, equally, and it just makes it all very uncertain as to see to to know like how this is going to play out for Fiji first and their chances to uh, retain government. And and what are what are some of the the major election issues we're we're seeing in in the discussions leading up to this and around this election? This has obviously been a very challenging few years for Fiji as it has for the rest of the world. But you know, Fiji is a very tourism dependent um, economy has been really really se- severely hit. Uh, in the last two years as a result of closed borders and COVID lockdowns. Um, you know, so I think that is going to be a massive, massive one in terms of how many businesses were lost, how many people's um, livelihoods were lost in the last few years and are not being able to claw it back this year as the country reopens. That, I think, will be a big challenge for Fiji First to, to manage, but it's also offset by, I think, there has been great success in, again, getting the country vaccinated to enable this kind of reopening, this tourism boom, we're seeing this year. So I think the economy is going to be a real critical one. If it can bounce back this year, if people can feel good about their the prospects, if we're good for the country's back on a um, good trajectory, I think that's that might benefit Fiji first. 
but there's but you know Fiji First has also been in power a long time, and you know just like you know governments get stale, governments can get old. There's can be frustrate a lot of legacy frustrations. Um, there is concern in the opposition about consolidation of power between Frank Bainimarama and um, the Attorney General Ayad Sayakayum, and I think you know there's so that could also be play out in in the in the voting as well that people are just ready for change. Um, so it's going to be hotly contested. It's going to be very interesting to see. I mean, let's see how it plays out. I think there will be a lot of personality politics thrown into the middle, but I hope that, that there is a lot of focus as well on these big policy issues that are going to define Fiji's um, economic and development trajectory for the next you know decade. The former Governor-General of Tuvalu is vying to head the Commonwealth as its next Secretary-General and hoping the region will get behind his campaign to become the first Pacific Islander to get the top role. Sir Jacoba Italelli is a long-serving Tuvalu government official who has been the Queen's representative between 2010 to 2019. He also held the position of Attorney-General from 2002 to 2006. Sir Italelli says he made the decision to run for the Commonwealth's number one diplomat post because he believes it's time for a Pacific Islander to guide the organisation. He spoke to RNZ Pacific's regional correspondent, Kelvin Anthony. Tuvalu and Pacific Island, we, we should have the, the chance to lead and to unite the Commonwealth in a way. There are so many people who have raised their concern and about the problems with the current Commonwealth Secretariat and that the Secretariat could function better to harness more funding for the Commonwealth member states and better guide the organization. Why do you think that this is the right moment? I was thinking because often there, there are so many Commonwealth uh, head of government that uh, in the Commonwealth, they, they sound out their concern for this uh, the, the disparity of uh, developments in some of the countries in the in the Commonwealth, and the, those funds are not uh, placed in the right place where the the leaders uh, had been uh, decided for. Yes, and I think uh, we need a change in that institution for the better. Give me strength to to contest for that, so that I can be the consensus candidate for the, the election in June. Yes. Now, uh, you ha- you have been in governance for a long time. You've been the Attorney General yes. of uh, Tuvalu. You have been the Governor General. You know, you've got extensive regional experience. And so, uh, what are some of the things that you think uh, that you will be able to, you know, contribute? I, I understand that. There, there, are, there are so many people who ask me the same question asking because I don't have the foreign affairs uh, knowledge. They said I, uh, I, I haven't been in the foreign office for some time of Tuvalu and all that. But I, I think uh, in the region and uh, in, in Tuvalu, I, I think the same thing applies to an organization. I, I think if you have a passion in the heart, if you have a vision, I think those are the most important things. Not only sight, because sight is only the purpose of the eye, but uh, people must have vision so that we can move forward. Yes, and I think Pacific Islanders have that potential. One thing is to work together, to work together with uh, the leaders and the advisors of the Secretariat, because I, I think that was one, one failure of the Commonwealth, neglecting to work together with the Board of Governors of the Commonwealth. Secretariat, and I think that's 
everything seems to be falling fall apart because of uh, that kind of uh, governance that they have. We work for the people. All developmental aspirations of Commonwealth countries, not geared for something else. They are all geared up for the betterment of the lives of the individual. In terms of your candidacy and a campaign, like what does that involve? Lately I was in, in, in London. Uh, I made a statement to the Board of Governors uh, I think it has to be a concerted effort of member states together with the leadership of uh, Board of Governors and the, the leaders, the Chakram. Uh, and I think that is the, the way I, I would like the Commonwealth chapter to, to run, to work together uh, with uh, the Board of Governors in order to achieve the wish and the will of the, the leaders. Some of the issues that you'll obviously be carrying forward, and you are a very uh, you know, strong advocate for environmental issues. What are some of these concerns that you will you know, carry with you? There are so many issues, which we can call them security issues. The pandemic that we are facing at the moment, COVID-19, no one escapes from this. But the most devastating impact of climate change affects more lives. I, I campaign so that we can look back at how we can address climate change and the effect of climate change on small island states like Tuvalu. Because for small island states like Tuvalu, Giribas in the, in the region, in the Pacific region, and those in Africa, it's a matter of life and death. So these are the issues, global issues, that we have to address. And to me, climate change is the number one security issue that international community must address. What has been like the support, uh, have, you, have you had support uh, award from the Pacific leaders? The I, I haven't exactly heard for anything from uh, uh, Pacific leaders at the moment, but we are trying our, we have informed them and uh, yeah, we will see in June by then, but uh, I haven't heard anything from our foreign affairs uh, office in Tuvalu with a uh, for countries that are supporting us. What would it mean to have the support of, of the region? I only hope that uh, Pacific Islands can come together and support me in this campaign so that we can, can be seen as a, a region that working together. The Wildlife Conservation Society says equity and achieving long-term sustainability are the biggest environmental conservation challenges facing the Pacific. The society is an international conservation body working alongside several local NGOs in the region. Its executive director, Dr. Simon Cripps, attended the recent Our Oceans conference in Palau, where he told RNZ Pacific's Moira Tula Patela he was optimistic about its outcomes. It's easy to be cynical about, about these big conferences with their, uh, with their commitments. But actually, there was a lot going on and there was a real buzz after two years of being locked up um, about people wanting to make a difference. And since we've all been locked up, things like uh, the Glasgow C Climate COP has gone on. And I think it's really spurred people into action. And so um, you, do you have any projects or organisations that you partner with in the Pacific region? 
Yeah, we have a number of projects. We work in the Solomon Isles in Papua New Guinea, um, and particularly in Fiji. We have some really exciting projects going on at the moment. What are some of the challenges that you've noticed with some of the groups that you're working with in the region? What are they facing? Well, part of the problem... Oh, there's many problems with the pandemic. Um, part is money, um, and that many of the projects... The, the project conservation requires money, and part of the money um, comes from uh, sources that are of, of funding that have been set up. And, of course, these go to pieces if they're based on tourism, for example. So we've seen a real challenge to, um, to the funding. Then, of course, there's the, the staff themselves, and the staff have been um, ill. We've had a, a number of lockdowns, for example, in our Fiji office that have stopped conservation and have, have, have led to real difficulties. And, of course... Then as well, there's been storms, which is the, which is the climate change effect on, on um, the frequency of bad weather. So you put those together and you've got a perfect storm of, of, of difficulty for, for conservation at the moment. What do you feel are some of the big issues facing projects in the Pacific region at the moment? Equity. Equity, gender equity, and the equity of communities. Um, we've se- we're seeing with this 30 by 30, this 30 percent, uh, at least 30 percent protection by the year 2030. Uh, commitments that governments are making, and there's being followed up with by by funders. Um, we're, we're seeing that um, that has to be done through with people through communities it, it some people think of it as a numbers game you know you're trying to get 30 on the, up on the scoreboard but it isn't it's a hearts and minds game you've got to start with people's hearts and minds without that you're never going to get anywhere near 30 and if you do get to 30 you're never going to keep it because what we're aiming for is long long past 2030 that's just the goal what we've got to do is set up these the protections set up sustainable livelihoods sustainable management of our marine environment forever because I guess for a lot of the, those nations in the region, in the Pacific region, a lot of those communities are coastal communities. Oh, absolutely. At small island states, you've, you've, they're all, all near the coast. Um, and even you follow the nutrition, the food, back from, for instance, coral reefs. It can go way, way inland in, into many countries. So, um, for example, uh, over at the, uh, NOAA, the American... Um, uh, department have calculated that over a billion people are reliant on the food and services that coral reefs provide for example that's a lot of people and it's a, not all of them will be right by the coast but a, a good deal of them and often the people the communities that are right by the coast are subsistence communities they're the poorest of the poor they can't afford these shocks that you get as a result of a degrading environment of enormous storms. So those are the ones that have the biggest, um, uh, upon whom the, the biggest impacts occur and have the biggest interest in making sure that we look after the environment for the future. That brings us to the end of Pacific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us free to device from Spotify, iHeart, Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. More meow.